mais pequena. Uh, oh, no, come on, that's impossible. Here, I have a... Did you hear about the, uh, the, the uh, ultimatum in the Jersey? Edgewater, New Jersey. I have a little note here. I just have to bring it out here before we go any further. This is a, one of our spies has sent this along to me here. Edgewater, New Jersey. Teachers here say they will allow one month for the Board of Health to solve the lice problem in the schools. <laughs> I don't invent the news, gang. I don't report it. <laughs> Instantly, somebody's going, Would you tell that young man to stop speaking about such terrible things as lice? A dozen teachers from the public schools told the board last night that the lice have made teaching practically impossible. <laughs> They're having a lice thing. We're frightened to go into the school every day with a turban on our heads, says uh, Mrs. Poor, uh, Paula Amore, a teacher at the junior high. We're afraid of getting close to the children. It's crazy with the children all wearing hot winter hats and parents keeping them out of school. We can't get out of teaching. And now the lice have spread all over Edgewater, New Jersey, and uh, and they're taking it home. Daddies are getting it at home now. After all, you know, lice travels around. He hangs around. And uh, now they have a deadline, and I'm going to be, I don't want to see what finally happens. They have a deadline on the lice problem in Jersey. Well, now, <laughs> I'll tell you, the bugs are getting out of hand. You know, this is a fact. Did you, do you remember that, you remember that movie about, about the uh, insects here recently? Uh, I forget the name of it. It was a terrific movie. Yeah, The Hellstrom Chronicles. And it was a good movie and a fantastic photography. But uh, you probably heard about what's happening in the, in the Capitol. You know, it's going on. In, no, I'm talking about in the state, in the, in the U.S. Capitol, that they have been totally inundated with cockroaches. And yeah, and it's you know it's kind of depressing. I mean, you're in the, in the after all, you're in the seat of government. You're <laughs> you're in the in the center uh, center of the entire United States. When all of a sudden you're sitting there in the in your senatorial seat and uh, enjoying a meal in the senatorial uh, lunchroom, when all of a sudden three cockroaches march by, holding signs up in the air, you know, <laughs> protesting. Now uh, this could be a move. Now I suspect there might be something up. You know. I mean, it's only recently that the that the uh, state or the U.S. Capitol was inundated with cockroaches. You know, for a long time there's been a suspicion that the meek shall inherit the earth, and maybe they're finally really, you know, moving into where it counts. Uh, after all, what good is you know a, lot, uh, a couple of cockroaches underneath your sink are going to do nothing? But three or four cockroaches uh, walking around the president's uh, inner office uh, that that uh, that gets them. Hey. Good, can you imagine a cockroach inhabiting the president's oval room? He's right where it's uh, it, <laughs> right where it is. I wonder. I wonder if animals or bugs have any sense of of, uh, of the rightness of things. Uh, you know, in other words, a sense of now and the present, where you are. We do. You know, man does. The one thing that that we have is, uh, I guess, a sense of, of milieu. We have a sense of uh, environment. And so you take a human being and you drop him in the middle of the Vatican, and he knows he's someplace. He he just knows this is this is a this is it's overwhelming. Now what is why is it overwhelming? I mean, the buildings and the sky and the concrete under your feet, but it's he knows where he is. He knows what this place is. You drop a human being, say, in the middle of uh, let's say uh, Buckingham Palace, 
And it's uh, kind of an old building, and it's kind of tacky in certain ways. But it is Buckingham Palace. He knows. In other words, it's the history of the place and everything else that combines to add to the architecture, adds to the, the way a place looks and the way a place feels and smells and tastes that makes a guy conscious of what it is. In short, a knowledge of the past of a place makes a place impressive. Sure, I mean, if you walk into an old house, like one time I walked into an old house, and I was taken into this house, and it was just an old frame house. But it also happened to be the house where a president was born. <laughs> you know, it's in this little town in Ohio. There's a house, see. Well, now that house was just like any other house, and yet all these people walking through in lines, and they were buying postcards, and they were taking pictures of it, and it was just because something had once happened here. Now, that's a unique thing to man. You ever thought of that as part of the difference between us and, say, the... Now, the question arises, does a horse know? Now, that's just a question. Does a horse know that he is at Churchill Downs? That's a good question. A really a good question. Now, on the other hand, does he know that the Churchill Downs is more impressive than, let's say, uh, uh, Monmouth Park? <laughs> now, now, on the other hand, I, I go, what's the while? In fact, I never miss it. One of my favorite things every, every fall in the early part of the winter is to go down. I love it. I, 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 one of the great shows in New York, as far as I'm concerned, is the National Horse Show at the Garden. I always go. I usually attend at least half of the sessions. I just love to do that. I don't know why. just love it. It's just the whole, the whole thing around it. It's, just, it's, it's got something that I, I enjoy. And you see these horses come on. Now, this is, this is the World Series for horses. That's like, you know, the, the World Series is what it is. It's a Super Bowl. It's everything. You see? Well, out comes this horse out on this uh, sawdust right down on the floor, and he walks out. Does this horse know that he is now playing the garden? It's the national. <laughs> does he know this? You think he does? Well, that's, I'll take issue with you there. See, I think he, he, he's aware of the, of the excitement of the thing he's about to do, like jump. See, horses, they're physical. A horse jumps, he knows he gets all excited when he's about to jump. But I think he would get just as excited, say, if he's going to jump uh, in, a, in a gym uh, in Marion, uh, Pennsylvania. Now, the point I'm making here, it, 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 does he have this sense of, you know, here's where the great horses have jumped. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is where Democrat became a world-famous jumper right here in the garden. Does he know these things? I doubt it. I don't know, though. You never can tell. You know, there's a, a curious suspicion. I can see these two horses lounging in their stalls. You know, that's, that's by the way, something that is kind of great if you can do it, if you can get, a, get some kind of a pass, to go down below the garden when they're having the uh, national and go down where the horses are quartered. And they have this great, uh, uh, it's a great area down. It's a tremendous area, and you get lost down there. And there are hundreds and hundreds of these stalls that are put up. And, of course, every one of these stalls, maybe three or four, maybe sometimes even ten or twelve, will be for one team. And you'll see a great big banner. It's this uh, uh, German, German uh, national jumping team. 
and you see these German horses, these great Hanoverians and so on. Did you know that horses really have nationalities? That German horses, for example, when you walk around down in the stables, you become very much aware, right, very quickly, that the, the German horses don't look like Irish horses. That they have a nationality, genuine nationality, and so and they, they they're and and they almost reflect the nationality of the people too, because for example the the horses that are that are the German horses, uh, how would you imagine a German horse to be? Well, he is that way. He's got you know huge shoulders. He's very muscular, and they're not particularly pretty, but boy are they powerful. Like they they got this powerful look, the great hindquarters and the huge broad shoulders, and man, they jump up a storm, I'll tell you, because they're strong and tough. I mean, they're really mean-looking horses, and yet they're, they're beautiful in that way, you know, the, the Hanoverians. And then, then you go along, and you'll see the, uh, a few years ago, they don't come over anymore, but uh, at least they haven't for the last couple of years. I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but you see a couple of stalls down, you see the Irish jumping team, or the English. Now, that's a good one, the English, Okay. And so the English, uh, there's always a uh, lady, uh, Trevelyan Blount White, uh, is the leading uh, rider of the English international team. They're very elegant, of course. And uh, their horses have that elegant look of uh, the aristocratic look of the. And maybe it's in your imagination. I don't know, but they certainly have it. You know, the, you go up and you'll see this, these great, uh, like one of their horses was a magnificent horse. Uh, boy, it was a beautiful horse. Merely a monarch, it was called. And there was another one, Nanticoke. And, uh, uh, these these great elegant uh, thin necked horses they look like they're cuts out of these English woodcuts of hunting scenes. This great horse is standing. He's got this arched neck, and right next to him is this squat, broad shouldered, uh, big headed, uh, uh, kind of dark brown colored Hanoverian jumper. Two different totally concepts, totally different concepts. Then you move on further around, and you you, you see the American horses, and the American horses just like like uh, just like the American people. They're a motley crowd. They they range all the way from big clunky horses that look like they're milk wagon type horses. Yeah, it's, you know one of the great horses of all time was an old uh, jumping horses was an old re horse that had been a workhorse like. What was his name? Great famous horse. And, and you know how, how he became famous? It's almost like a dream. That the guy that bought this horse was a doctor. And this, this horse, by the way, dominated international jumping for years. He was only retired a couple of years ago. It did a big, clunky, uh, paunchy-looking horse. Elderly horse, by the way. He was like 18 or something. But anyway, he bought this horse as a pet for his kids for a couple of hundred dollars. Just bought this old horse. You know, the kids can play on it and ride on it out in the back. And, and he bought this old horse, for, just an old horse. Well, the horse had been nothing but an old horse up to that point. You know, he uh, did a lot of <laughs> whatever old horses do, you know, during their life. Pull things and push stuff and all that. So he bought this horse. Well, the horse was out in the back, and he would go around. The kids would ride on the back of a big horse, great big baby, and old. Well, a couple of days later, after he put him out in the back, he comes out there to feed the horse. The horse is gone. They can't figure where the hell the horse went. So everybody's looking around, and uh, they can't they can't believe it. The horse has jumped over this fence. The fence is about five feet high, and that's a pretty good jump. So the horse is gone. There he is. He's about a mile away. He's eating the clover someplace. He just went over the fence. So so they said, well, you know, he must have got through the gate. So they bring him back in, and they put him in the back in, the, in this backyard. 
And the next day he's gone again. So obviously he didn't go out of the gate. He went over the fence. Well, they says this is this is nutty. That's a pretty good jump. So they they uh, they they built the fence higher. Then they wound up with a six foot fence, and they couldn't keep him in. Now this is international form. This guy's going over six seven foot fences. So <laughs> at that point he says, "Well, for crying out loud." And so they, they called in somebody who knew something about jumping. And the next thing you know, they, 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 they take this horse and they start, you know, formally jumping with him over, over actual jumps with a jump rider. And within a short time, he became a world-renowned jumper. How do you like that? Isn't that a fantastic sports story? And it's a true story. So, so you go down in the, in the uh, this is WOR New York, by the way, speaking of old workhorses. What can your children show you about love? Together, a new motion picture brings you the answers. Among those who have been able to get in to see together, there have been some very interesting reactions. I think they went too far with this. I really liked it. It was great. Fantastic. Together is a film that will not leave you indifferent. You will have to see it for yourself and decide for yourself. Together, Rated X is now playing at RKO and other showcase theaters. Wow. You know, uh, one of the rarest things in uh, publishing, and this, by the way, is a commercial, is, uh, is a magazine that really takes off right away, and people talk about it all over the world. And this has happened with Intellectual Digest. And if you get a chance to pick up a copy of this magazine, really do it. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's just what it says. It's an Intellectual Digest. It's a compendium uh, of uh, of articles from all over the world, over 300 publications are are condensed into this one thing. Fantastic ser uh, series of writers in it, and right now you can get a free issue of the current Intellectual Digest, uh, along with a no obligation trial subscription to the next 11 issues, for just five bucks. This is a really good price. This is a half the regular subscription price. And if you're not totally satisfied, just cancel your subscription within 14 days, tear up the bill, and you're in business. For your complimentary issue of Intellectual Digest and trial subscription, write Digest in care of me, Gene Shepard, WOR, New York, New York. Right now, because it's a short offer. Or you can call this number right this minute. The phones are open. It's MU7-1100. That's MU7-1100. That's Intellectual Digest, it really makes it. And I remember the first time, and, and I, I remember it vividly, the first time, and I'm an old baseball fan, the first time that I went to Yankee Stadium. Now, Yankee Stadium, uh, and it doesn't, you can talk all you want about Shea and all the other ballparks, but the Yankee Stadium has a symbolic meaning. It's almost like, uh, you know, like, like uh, Plymouth, you know, the Plymouth Rock. That's a symbolic meaning. Uh, there are certain places that have this. And Yankee Stadium has. And I remember the first time I went to Yankee Stadium. And uh, it was just like, you know, it was a very, I was just floored. And here it is. I'm sitting in the stands, and I was in the Army at the time. I got one of these free tickets to come to the ball game. You know, they leave GIs in every day. And uh, I, I remember looking around at this great green cave. And you see the the, the field stretched out there, and you can, as you sit in the in the stands, you can see the subway going by. Up, you know, the subway is above grounds out there, and you look out over the scoreboard, you see the subway out there. And this it was fantastically exotic to me. They don't have any, the subway in Chicago is, uh, you know, it's a non-existent thing. 
And here I am, I'm looking at the subway, the New York subway, and it's, it's the Bronx. I'm in the Bronx. You hear the Bronx all your life in places like Hammond, Indiana. And, and, and there's, there's Yankee Stadium down below me. There's third base, and there's second base, and first base. That's the same first base where Lou Gehrig played first base. This is not just any first base. And you look out at center field, and that's where, you can't believe it, that's where, where Joe DiMaggio played center. You look out at right field, and this is where, where, where Babe Ruth played. It's, just, it's, a, it's a sense of place. And then a couple of years later, many years later, as a matter of fact, I was out of the Army and all, that great, fantastic moment, the first time I ever set foot in the Yankee clubhouse, the lockers. The same lockers. I mean, there they are, the Yankee clubhouse. You know, you can imagine. You walk in and you here you see the lockers. Whitey Ford at that time, Whitey Ford's locker over there is uh, Bobby Richardson's locker, and over there is Tony Kubek's locker. And the, they, these guys are all walking around, guys taking showers. And so I asked the old man. There's an old old man there uh, who uh, has worked there for many many years, like a hundred years or something. Little withered, dried old man that works down around the clubhouse. And I said the. I said, excuse me, son. He says, yes. And I said, uh, would you point out to me, of course, at the corner, that was when Mickey Mantle was still playing. There's Mickey Mantle's locker down in here. You know, it's just Mantle above it. I'm telling you, this is a, you can't put it down. So uh, whether you're a sport fan or not, you're, you're where it is. See, so I said to this guy, I said, to say, excuse me, would you point out to me where Mr. Ruth had his locker? Oh, yeah, of course. And he points out, there's, there's Babe Ruth. You know, <laughs> or Babe Ruth used to come in every day. And uh, so there's a sense of place. I can tell you other times I've had a sense of fantastic place uh, where, where, you know, you just have a feeling, of, a vibrant feeling. Uh, another time, Churchill Downs. Uh, I, one time I went to Churchill Downs. Not, I was not there. At this, was, this day was not the day of the Derby. Now, for those of you that don't know what Churchill Downs is, this is where the Kentucky Derby is run. And I happen to have a friend that was involved in the in the uh, something to do with the the operation of the grandstand or something, and I was working in Cincinnati. And so one day he says to me, he says, "Would you like to go out to the Downs?" I said, "Oh, sure." He said, "Well, come on, we'll go out. We have a, a lunch on the way, and we'll you know we'll go out to the Downs." So it was on an off day; they weren't running there or anything. See, so I we went out and we had lunch at this elegant uh, Kentucky restaurant where we had mint juleps, you know, the whole thing. Say. And that afternoon, we drove out to the to the to the Churchill Downs, and I'm walking around. There were some horses there, of course, that were in stalls and stuff, and they were training. And I walked out on the track itself. I walked across the track. This is where Man of War ran. I mean, this is this is a. I mean, you could just see it. You know, this is the same ground, and and it just has a look. You know, and and I looked down the track and you could see this gray turn. You could see the the mist over the trees. And I said, this is the view that that Eddie Arcaro had just before one of his great Derby victories. This is, he he was looking that way right from this spot. This is where the where the gate goes up. And this is the what, what he saw. See. And uh, what, I, what a sense of, of do you like to experience places like that? This is a this is one of my secret hobbies, which I never talk about. I search out places where great things have happened. Another one of those great moments is a couple of years ago. I covered the the Indianapolis 500 for uh, for Car and Driver, 
And I was out there with them, and, and we were out there a couple of days before the actual running of the race, of course. And they were running qualifying trials. And, and one morning, I went out to the track. It was like uh, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, just at dawn. And uh, there's a few mechanics and a few guys working out there in uh, Gasoline Alley. You know, they've got their cars back there, and you can hear once in a while, you hear the rumble of somebody tuning something up. And it's dawn. There's nobody else out there, not a soul there. And I walked out on this 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 uh, this track. Of course, it's not brick anymore. It hasn't been brick for many years. But I walked out on this track, and there I am at the at the starting line, right at the starting line, right in front of the judges' stand and the the great starting pylon. And you could see this uh, control, the the huge control room up there. You've seen pictures of it, you know. And I walk out there, and, and it's what well, it first hit me how narrow it is. You know, somehow you expect it to be more impressive. And there were even a few little potholes in it. That's, that's kind of surprising. And I walked out and I looked down the track scene. I could see it turns off to the left. You know, they make these fantastic left turn when they, the, tri- the cars roar out and those, those lines of, of uh, you know, they, they, they have a, the Indianapolis start consists of, of 11 rows of cars, three rows to a car, and they come up in echelon formation angled off like that you see the the guy that qualified first is in the first pole position and he's right on the pole he's right on the wall there and then they go all the way back to number 33 and so i stood right at the pole position saying i says my god this is this is exactly what it looked like to wilbur shaw as he's sitting in his maserati waiting for the you know waiting for that gun to go up and that this this is the way it looked to, to you know all these guys go all the way back you know pete DePaolo and all these great racers, uh, Tony Bettenhausen. This is the way it looked to, uh, you know, to Mario Andretti and all these guys right here. See, and you look around, you see the sky above you, and you start walking down this track. Man, there's a sense of uh, a sense of place. To, and I even look at the cars. I wonder whether the car appreciates the fact that it's at Indianapolis. You know, this piece of metal. <laughs> and, and so, a sense of place is is something that uh, I guess some people have it, and some haven't. Uh, not everybody has this. I'm, I, I know this for a fact. I, I uh, like it right here in town. Uh, one time I did a show. Uh, I, I did a, a show. It was in a Broadway theater here in town, and I was in a play, and uh, it, was in a, it was in this old theater. And many of the theaters in, in the Broadway area, of course, are very, very old. I mean, they go way back. And this particular theater. Uh, I, I, I read about it. It was a theater that has a famous name, you know, the old name, Line Theater, see. And I walked out on the stage the first day when we were starting to rehearse. We had worked on the play, and then we were finally moved into the house to rehearse the last week. And I remember walking out on that stage, and it was dark. The, the house was dark. They had a work light out there, and there were a couple of people were cleaning s- seats and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the smell of a theater, when it's down, it's a particular smell. You can smell the... The uh, plush, the seats, and you smell a little dust, and you smell uh, furniture polished. They're always cleaning something, and there's a certain smell to a theater. And I walked down on that stage. I just, uh, for an instant, I felt like a fool. See, I didn't want to say anything to any of the other actors. I'm like, oh man, you know. You know, <laughs> I walked out on the stage, and we were going to walk through the first rehearsal uh, on the stage. We'd been rehearsing the lines and all that, but now we're blocking it on this stage. And I walked out. And I, I, I made my first entrance, and I came up, and this is my God. This is where this is where John Barrymore walked. Barrymore played right. He probably came in right through the same entrance. 
This is where, yeah, that's right. This is where, you know, this is where Lionel Barrymore came out on the stage. This is where, where, uh, where Noel Coward, Noel Coward had played in the stage. I said, this is where Noel Coward and all this. Oh, wow. You know, and I go back into this, it, it, they had these crummy little dressing rooms. I'm back in the dressing room and I got talking to the guy down on the, downstairs. We got discussing the dressing rooms and, and he was telling me people who had the dressing room that I had had. You know, the, the one I was using, the various people that used this dressing room was very, very, very intriguing. For example, at one point in his career, Van Johnson had used this dressing room uh, when he was when he was playing on some little Broadway show. This was long before he became a star. You know that these dressing or he was a star, I guess, to play in that that dressing room. But then, then the, the people like he saw he says, "Yeah, he said, well, Henry Fonda, he said, Fonda, you know, he said, I'll never forget that Fonda played so and so. There was his dressing room, all these places. There was a sense of place there, and uh, this is it, it fits in many ways. Now, like one time I was in in, in Amsterdam. You, you find this around the world. Uh, this this sense of place in Amsterdam. Uh, I, I was living in a hotel that was one block away from where Rembrandt lived, and his house is still there. You probably know this. If you've never, it's really a fantastic site. It's really a great visit in Europe to go through Rembrandt's house and uh, the, these little low rooms and the tables and a lot of the stuff that's there appeared in his paintings. And they they, all, they even have some of the paintings there that, that that show these various interiors where he actually painted. And there's a, an eerie sense, you know, of place. Uh, an eerie sense. You know, if if you're a real buff of, of history in that, you can't help but have this sense of place. Like uh, the first time I was in in London, a very interesting thing happened to me there. I was in London, and I was spending a lot of time. I had a lot of fr uh, spare time in London. And I was walking down a street in London. This was this was down on, in in, the, in what they call bogs down on the dockside, down down below, down by the river, see. And I and I love to walk around down in these this bad kind of bad uh, tough uh, dock neighborhood, see. And I'm walking along this neighborhood, and I look up in the street sign, see, and I see the street sign there, and it hit me. It's a fascinating thing hit me about this street sign, this block. And I looked around, I could see evidences of it still there. You could see evidences of it still there. This particular block, this, this one area here, had been an area that was one of, the, one of the biggest air raids in the early days of World War II. This block had been hit. Fantastic bombing had happened right here. And I'm walking along this street, and, and, and you could see the street, you know, the street, and you could see places that were still boarded up, like, like old buildings that were just flat boards up the side and all that. And I remember seeing, you, you see these all the time in movies, old movies, you know, scenes of London being bombed. Well, many of the scenes that you see in the London being bombed sequences, you know, you see these air raid wardens and these fantastic explosions in the windows. I mean, there's one particular scene where all the windows seem to be glowing, great flames coming out of it. You see these guys with these flat helmets running through the light, the nighttime bombing. Well, they were photographed right there. This was the place. And I see people walking around, old people, just ordinary people. I think, my God, these are the people that saw that. They were there. They were there those nights. I walk along through the street. And I'm wondering, because most tourists never go to that kind of stuff. You know, the most tourists, they'll go to the Westminster Abbey. They'll go to the, the museum. But the, the actual places where stuff happened is really impressive.
And if you if you ever, uh, you know, the stuff that you hear of all your life, like uh, just last year, for the first time, just last year, when I was doing my television show, when we flew in, uh, we were flying in uh, to, to, to Honolulu in this great big 747, and we swept in, and there down below us, I could see it, was Diamond Head. Diamond Head. And you could see Pearl Harbor laying out there. And you could still see, you know, there's Navy ships and stuff down there. And there's a little flash of white down one end of Pearl Harbor. You can see this little white glimmer down there. And I had done a lot of reading up on, on this place before I went there. And I knew what that little flash of white, that little glimmer was. And you know what it was? Well, it was the concrete. They have a concrete uh, memorial that's built over the battleship Arizona where it sank. And it's still there, of course, the battleship. And we swept in over over Pearl Harbor. I said, my God, this is, <laughs> this is the same view that the guy in the, you know, the second leading echelon of Nakajima 91s or, or uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Zero Sen as, as she came sweeping in over Diamond Head. You know, they came right in over that area and, and right down. I said, this is exactly the way it was. And from that altitude, you couldn't see, you know, the things had changed. The cars didn't look any different or anything. They must have looked pretty much the same in the days of of World War II when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And then we swept down, and, and I walked out, and there it is. You, know, you can see off in the distance Pearl Harbor. Schofield Barracks, as a sign, that way. And I, and I immediately began to think of, of uh, James Jones' novel, you know, <laughs> Pruitt, that the, this is the same street that Pruitt walked down, Waikakee. And I kept thinking of that, walking around there. You could, you could see these hotels and these all these wild-looking chicks and, and sailors and all kinds of soldiers and stuff. And there you are, you're back in, in the Pearl Harbor. And it, and it was just, it's the sense of place. By the way, speaking of places, we better get this out of the way before we do anything else here. Hey, listen, uh, here's some more dope on New York Tech. I thought uh, I'd bring that to you. Don't write to me about uh, brochures, by the way. Uh, if uh, you'd like to try college this year, I'd like to give you a recommendation. New York Institute of Technology It's a good school and it offers more than 150 credit and non-credit courses in all kinds of fields, including radio and television and so on. And these are degree courses, too, if you want. You can begin or continue working towards a degree, or you can just sharpen what you've got. And you can choose at NYT. You can choose between the beautiful old Westbury campus or the brand-new Metropolitan Center Campus in the Sky, which is just across from Carnegie Tech. And the new uh, semester begins the 10th of February, and you must register between now and February 2nd at either campus. In old Westbury, New York Tech is just off Route 25A. You can come directly to Shore Hall. And in New York, it's at 888 7th Avenue at 56th Street. And to call, in Old Westbury, you can give them a call, area 516-MA-6-3400. And in New York, it's area 212-JU-2-8080. That's the New York Institute of Technology. Yes, I have here a, uh, a letter here I've just received from one of our victims up in Vermont. And he says, Shepard, I want to thank you. You have opened up my life completely. I am now loved in the neighborhood. There are women chasing me. I've uh, been able to uh, uh, grow more hair on the top of my head, all because of that fantastic flying bird. He says, that thing not only flies, but I am flying now. So if you would like to try this, friends, you just send $3.98 to Flying Birds, 
Flying Birds, Department S, Post Office Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, and the zip is 10017. Now, that's $3.98 per each, check or money order. The address, again, is Flying Birds, Department S, Post Office Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, zip 10017. <laughs> yes, uh, this letter, by the way, is tear-stained, and it was obviously written in a great hurry. He's on his way to Mexico with a chick. All as a result of his fantastic flying bird. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's one of the great moments that I had, I must say that one of the great moments of a sense of place that I had was a, was a, was a real experience. I'll never forget it. Uh, I, I, I've been lucky that way, you know. I, I, and I, I think, too, a lot of people kind of avoid experience, and so they don't really do things. But I was in London. And uh, I had gotten to know this guy from the BBC, who uh, an elegant gentleman, you know, really, he was a, really an elegant, he was Sir something, he had, a, you know, the title and all, and he was an elegant type, and he drove an old Humber around, and he wore tweed jackets that were so old, you know, they had twigs growing out of them, and, and you know, that kind of guy, he elegant type, he always ate, uh, always ate at his club, and, and uh, so one weekend, he asked me if I would like to, if I would like to go out and, uh, and spend a, a week uh, and uh, if I'd like to go out and visit his son. I said, your son? He said, yeah. He said, he, you know, he said, why don't you go out? They'd love to have you there. I said, where is he staying? Well, he's going to Oxford. So, <laughs> well, I, I, I drove out. We went to Oxford. It's a town, you know. It's a beautiful little town. And uh, that night, I had dinner in the, the dining hall of his college, which was Christ Church. Uh, which is one of the elegant old uh, colleges at Oxford. In fact, it's probably the most history-laden of all. And so we ate in this dining hall, and here in this dining hall they had the pictures of the, of the old grads, the ones who had, had graduated from here. And here's Winnie looking down. <laughs> How would you like to sit at the same table where Winnie had his lunches when he was a kid, you know? And believe it or not, here's Disraeli. Over here is William the Conqueror. And, you know, fantastic names. You just can't imagine uh, being in a place where, where guys where guys of, uh, you know, people that are kind of legendary to you. You know, names like Charles I. <laughs> and all these people went to school there. And this is the very rule. It wasn't restored. And they're still eating the same, the same uh, rice pudding and drinking the same sherry. And, and so... We went off into the rooms, and we spent the evening there sitting around and, and talking away there. And, and uh, he had this old room. He was a, a living-in student at Oxford in the dormitory there. And this old stone room, these great stone steps going up, and this ancient room kind of drafty, and it looks like it's a curious... Uh, 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 concrete walls, and they had a had a mantelpiece and all that, and they were drinking sherry, and all these elegant Oxfordians are sitting around, and we're talking away there. So after a while, I you know I asked him, I said, do you know anything about the the uh, uh, the uh, you know the room here? And oh, he just kind of put it off. And, uh, at the his his roommate, by the way, was was Lord. It was a titled Lord. He was about nineteen. He was Lord something and. And, uh, yeah, there's, some, there's something just there's something about the English. You just simply can't get <laughs> you can't feed them. I mean, no way, no way you can you can outploy them. So uh, we're sitting talking about the room, and it, it, it turns out that that uh, I, I, I don't remember now which one it was, but in his undergraduate days, uh, it was either Montgomery of Alamein 
this was Israel, Monty, or it was Alexander of Malaya, one of, one of, the, one of the great English generals <laughs> that we know of. You know, it's a great, almost legendary names, Alexander of uh, Montgomery of El Alamein, and these great names like Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, these uh, one of those guys had had this his room, you know. This is where when he went to undergrad, so we're sitting there, on, squatting on the same bed and drinking out of the same uh, chair, uh, sherry decanters that he had. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't figure out whether they had a sense of place. Maybe they're so used to it that they don't see it. But uh, here I was. I was sitting there, and I had this this eerie sensation of living in a curious kind of uh, of uh, alive living museum. Well, as a matter of fact, to be perfectly uh, honest here, that, uh, and I never, I, I, I guess, never think about it, but you know that a lot of the studios here at WOR, at this radio station, have seen some historic people. I mean, in, in radio and television history, have performed out of these very studios. For example, the studio that I perform in every night is the one that Walter Winchell used. The, the, you know, the, the famous, uh, uh, good evening, Americans, and all the ships at sea. You know, this, uh, he came out of the same studio, right, huh? And, <laughs> you know, the da 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 Well, uh, uh, so, so walking into the studio, it never, never, uh, never hits you, but, the, you know, the ghosts of all these people, uh, that, that, that same studio, by the way, another uh, famous character came out of that same studio at one time, I understand, and that was... Uh, do you, do, do you ever hear of the of the guy that uh, Mr. Uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, the guy that used to solve uh, problems for people, huh? John. Uh, oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Very famous. He'd say, "Please don't uh, touch the microphone, madam. Please." Yeah, uh, John J. Anthony. Sure. But but he used the name. What what uh, something like the not the answer man. Something like uh, John G. Anthony. Uh, anyway, he solved problems, <laughs> and he was famous, and he was on the network for years. And people, hey, my husband left with the lady next door, and ever since that time, I. He'd say, please do not touch the microphone, madam. Do not touch the microphone, and please do not break down on the air, madam. <laughs> She's crying. <laughs> well, that, that 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 show came out of there, John J. Anthony, and uh, there were a lot of other strange ones uh, that uh, the, the historical type shows that came out. For example, uh, some of the broadcasts that Charles Lindbergh made, I understand, just before World War II, were made out of some of the studios up here that became international cause celeb type things. And uh, so, so you get a sense of place. Uh, now, now I, I was down in uh, talking about a sense of place. Uh, I was over at uh, NBC here a couple of uh, couple of months back, and of course we don't necessarily recognize our own history, which is kind of sad. But uh, I was uh, I was in a studio, an old studio they have there, one of the ones they just use uh, for occasional soap operas and stuff like that. You know, just things, uh, just a working television studio. Well, I happen to know something about that studio. That's the same studio that uh, that the famous John Kennedy Nixon debates were held. Yeah. Now that's truly historical. I don't mean historical in the sense of just uh, a show, but that's truly historical because many historians will say to you that uh, that that the election was won for John Kennedy on that particular show uh, that those famous do you remember those famous debates 
Well, I remember one time when I was working the the uh, doing the Today Show. I used to do, uh, do some work on the Today Show. I remember one day standing in the back of that studio, and there was a lot of props and sets and rubble and junk back there, just old pieces of wood and and uh, boxes and things that were piled up back there. And here was a great big thing, painted blue or something, some kind of an off color. And I'm leaning on it, and it was at four o'clock in the morning. This was before this was before the uh, uh, the TV show went on the air. They go on about seven o'clock. It was very early in the morning. We were rehearsing, and I'm standing back there with a technician, and I'm having some Danish, some coffee they have in there every morning, and I'm having some coffee, and and I happen to look down at this big box. I'm I'm drinking my coffee off of it. And it's just, it just looks like a big open cr- box, like an old set of some kind that had been painted like a platform or something. It had been painted blue, and there was a couple of others sitting around like that. And I look underneath, and I just looked at it. It looked like a, like a counter or something. And I saw the name written under there in big black chalk. It had been scrawled across, and it said Nixon. I said, Nixon? What the hell? You know, and this was... Uh, I, and then I looked over at the other one. I walked around the other one. There were a lot of them sitting around, the, you know, a couple of big boxes and stuff. I walk over to the other one. It looked something like this. And the other one said, Kennedy. Just scrawled in chalk underneath, like the workman that they had built this thing. And I said to the, uh, the, the technician, I said, what the heck is this stuff? He says, well, that was the, the, the set, the platform that we used. That was for Nixon, and this one was for Kennedy. And there it is, just a piece of lumber. And I thought, now that would make a very interesting piece of, of, of contemporary museum. People would be fascinated by that. You know, it would be kind of, and uh, as far as I know, they were destroyed and thrown away, though. They were just back in this pile of junk. Nixon and Kennedy. Well, I, I said, well, at that time, I didn't even know about the studio. And I said, gee, I said, that's, oh, he said, yeah, he said, I was one of the uh, cameramen on that thing. I said, really? So, yeah, he said, we did right here in the studios. It was done right here. It came out of here. And there we were, you know, doing our little shtick there. We're holding up, uh, you know, the funny little ding-dongs, plastic widgets and stuff we're selling. We're, we're doing it in the same studio where a presidential candidate was elected. And, and furthermore, you know, since history has proven the, the way it has proven, that here was a presidential candidate embarked on, a, on what would ultimately prove to be a personally fatal course, you know. Had Kennedy never run for the presidency, it, he would obviously never have been uh, uh, assassinated and so on. And history is a strange thing. So you walk around Churchill Downs and you walk through those streets down near the docks in London where the bombs fell. I remember one time I went swimming on the coast of, on the coast of uh, France in Normandy. And just, just a quarter of a mile down was where they landed at Omaha Beach. And you could see the water just rolling up there. And they still have a few of the tank traps and stuff there. And you can see pillboxes. And you can, you, can, you can hear the curious ghosts drifting over and around. I remember walking through uh, the La Galleria, the gallery in Naples, which was a famous place when, when the, the uh, during the war when the Allied troops rushed through Naples on their way up to Rome. The gallery, there's been novels written about La Galleria, the girl in the Via Veneta, and, uh, uh, Via Flaminia. And, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this sense of place, and I wonder whether horses feel it. I don't know. Does a ball bat know that it's being held by... <laughs> Does a baseball realize that Tom Seaver is about to hurl him into the maw 
at, at the last inning of the last game of the World Series. You know? But then again, I, I wonder how many people have a sense of history in place. I bet fewer than I suspect. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Look at the large there. Sense of history. Imagine one day they're going to say, this is the show that Shepard, Shepard did his show right out of the studio. <laughs> this is WOR New York. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News. This is the news in detail on the hour.